Good morning. Good morning. In the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not do this or that. <coughs> Why are these sins? What, what, what is there sinful about stealing, about lying or committing adultery or killing? What constitutes the sin? Anybody got an answer for that? Yeah. Yes, completely. That's the only sin there is. It hasn't anything to do with money. It hasn't anything to do with uh, sex relations. It hasn't anything to do with uh, uh, taking somebody else's life. None of those things constitute the sin. Those are the effects of the sin. The sin is accepting a selfhood apart from God or an activity apart from God. That's the whole sin. That's the whole sin there is in life. That's the only sin that the Master recognized in his first and second great commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods, no other power. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. How can you steal from your neighbor without stealing from yourself? How can you kill your neighbor without killing yourself? If there is only one self. And so it is that while the world is trying to hack away at preventing people from stealing or murdering or committing adultery, the root of the evil keeps on growing every time there is a new baby born. Every new baby that comes into this world comes in with the roots of the same old sins. A selfhood apart from God and therefore somebody else to rob, somebody else to cheat, somebody else to lie to, somebody else to murder, somebody else to defraud, and as long as there is any belief of a selfhood apart from God, that is the sin. The form that the sin takes is only uh, important insofar as the world's estimate is concerned. In other words, we can dishonor our mother and our father and the world doesn't think too badly about it because most of the world is doing the same thing. We could even do a little bit of stealing because most of the world is doing the same thing in one way or another. It doesn't quite like the idea of killing because if you kill somebody else you might get around to killing me. That would be bad. <coughs> Now, and in these days, of course, adultery isn't considered a terrible sin unless you get caught at it too deliberately. But you see, that is only the world's opinion. In the eyes of God, in cosmic law, there is no difference between dishonoring 
the mother and the father or committing murder. They're all included in the same Ten Commandments and they're all included in the same two major commandments of the Master. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And so, accepting anywhere in consciousness a selfhood apart from God is a violation of spiritual law, which is a violation of cosmic law. And in violating cosmic law, we bring a penalty upon ourselves, even if we're never caught by the public. I don't know why this state stuck out as such an important thing this morning. Well, uh, yesterday I spoke about the fact that in this work as we're doing it now, you will continually find yourself faced with what appears as contradictions which aren't, they merely represent the different states and stages of consciousness through which we go. And here is one of those seeming contradictions. A great deal of our work is based on uh, Luke 12, 22 to 32, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink or wherewithal you shall be clothed. Take no thought for your life. Seek only the kingdom of God, the realization of God, and let these other things be added unto you. Ah, but here comes what appears like a tremendous contradiction. No good is ever going to be achieved by you except through your conscious awareness. And... Uh, that would seem an awful lot like taking thought because actually it is. It is. We're going to take a lot of thought. But we are not going to take thought for things or persons. We're not going to take thought in the sense of any anxious thought or concerned thought or doubtful thought or fearful thought. The taking thought that we're going to do consists of an activity of truth in consciousness. Now, let me show you how that works. <clears throat> From the moment that we were conceived as human beings, we have been under the law of matter and of mind. We have been governed by material law and mental law. We have been governed by laws of food, weather, climate. Certainly we've been uh, governed by the laws of time and space. It's because two objects can't occupy the same place at the same time that we have accidents. Always, as human beings, we are under the law. 
the law came by Moses and we are always under that law whether it's a Mosaic law or whether it's any law of materia medica of matter or theology and those so-called laws which aren't really laws they're more or less universal beliefs but they act as law in our experience until some conscious activity takes place within us you undoubtedly have noticed that there are not many truth students certainly not many in the Christian science approach who are subject as much as others to colds, grip, flu or uh, I don't even know the names of these things anymore I'm trying hard to think and gone so far out <clears throat> digestive disorders, bowel disorders. You find very little of that in uh, those who have been students of Christian science for any length of time. Rarely do you find uh, uh, any of these home remedies in their homes because they're very quickly outgrown. How true that is in other metaphysical movements, I don't know because I know the others are not as strict about the observance of uh, spiritual healing but I do know in particular about that movement and 16 years experience with the uh, church memberships in many parts of the country has shown me that that's pretty universal now there is a reason for it as human beings every one of us have been under the laws of foods, the laws of diet, the laws of climate, the laws of water. Laws of infection, laws of contagion. But from that moment in which you recognize yourself to be spiritual identity, whether you call yourself the child of God, or whether you call yourself the offspring of God or whether you say of yourself that you are spiritual or whether you say of yourself that you are spirit the terminology has very little to do with it the fact is that at some point in your metaphysical career you have awakened to the realization that you are not a mortal material being conceived in sin brought forth in iniquity you have learned that your true identity is consciousness, spirit, soul, and that therefore you are not subject to the laws of matter. Now, if this realization were of great enough depth, we would automatically rule out of our experience all physical discords. <coughs> but because in most cases, the degree of realization isn't deep enough and because 
we more or less accept these uh, deep truths of spiritual government more by acceptance unconsciously than by a conscious activity of thought, of mind, they do not have the same degree of uh, effectualness, effectiveness in our experience. But now, in our work, and we have several tapes on this subject, there must come a point in your experience where everything takes place as a conscious activity of mind until such time as uh, it is rooted and grounded and no longer requires conscious thought. And the explanation is this. Since we have been subject to material laws, laws of time and space, laws of infection and contagion, laws of food and climate, and others, now, by a specific act of consciousness, I declare and realize that spirit is my true identity and uh, that I have now come out and become separate and am no longer of the world, even though in it, not of it, and therefore not subject to the world's laws, material or mental. No longer subject to theological beliefs about heaven and hell, about sin and punishment, or any other form of belief in uh, suffering from not having communion, or suffering from not having baptism, or being in hell because of not confessing. None of these human beliefs, theological or medical, superstitious or natural, none of these laws are binding upon the child of God, the offspring of spirit, which I am, which I recognize myself to be. God is the source of my being. God is the activity and the law of my being, and I consciously accept that. I just don't sit back in a corner somewhere and say, Oh God, but actually, consciously, I accept within myself that as spiritual being, I'm subject to spiritual law. I'm not subject to law, I'm subject to grace. I'm no longer under the law of man under the law of matter, no longer under the law of theology, no longer under the law of materia medica, I am under grace. Thy grace is my sufficiency in all things. I consciously realize that, I consciously declare that, I consciously accept that within myself. In the same way, business is subject to laws of economy and laws of politics, sometimes called political economy. But you see, business isn't. Business is an activity of God. God is the source of business. God is the activity of business, and the activity of God is omnipresent, and it is spiritual. It is not material, it is spiritual. But 
I am operating under a physical law of business, a political law, an economic law, an industrial law, until such time as I consciously bring myself out from under and realize why my business isn't material. My business was conceived in the mind of God, nurtured in the mind of God, maintained and sustained in the mind of God, therefore it is not subject to outside conditions or the will and whim of persons. Business is not subject to persons. Persons may be subject to business because they're subject to the law of God. And no person can violate the law of God, but the law of God can take care of persons who get in its way. Now, while this is true, it is not true so far as you and I are concerned, except in proportion as we accept this truth as an activity in our consciousness. In other words, the light may be shining for everybody in the world, but we are left in darkness, except as we open our eyes and our ears. Everybody in this world may be blessed, except us. Their being blessed will not be a benefit to us, except insofar as we accept our blessing, and that must be done consciously through an activity of truth in our consciousness. There is the formula, activity of truth in our consciousness. There are no set formulas for the acceptance of it, such as made-up statements of truth or prayers or treatments, but there is something that everyone must consciously experience, and that is, an activity of truth in consciousness on every subject that concerns their lives. For instance, we speak of safety and we speak of security. Those are two of the important topics of the world. Every human being is at this moment in danger to a lack of peace and insecurity a lack of safety and insecurity because of things outside, that is, outside of ourselves. Watch this point. Is there anything out here that can act upon me? Or is the law of God, the grace of God within me, acting out from the center of my being onto my body and my affairs. Now, as human beings, everything out here acts upon us favorably or unfavorably. But under the law of God, since the kingdom of God is within me, all good unfolds from within my being and there is no evil. Ah yes, but none of this happens until I consciously make the transition from being a human being subject to the laws of matter and of mind to the realization that I am of the household of God and that all the power of good 
unfolds from within my own being. In the same way, in human experience, there are two powers, good and evil, the power of God and the power of Satan, the power of good and the power of evil. Now, in spiritual truth, there is but one power. There is no such thing as a power of evil to protect oneself from, whether it's a material evil or a mental evil. In God's kingdom, there are no such thing as powers. There is only the divine state of being which eternally is. Ah, but that is meaningless except as we consciously accept it within ourselves as an activity of consciousness. When we make the transition of dying daily and are reborn of the spirit, it is only because we commit suicide, as it were. We definitely, by an act of consciousness, destroy our humanhood and it's good and evil in order to exchange it for our Christhood, which knows neither good nor evil, but only a continuous and divine state of being, harmonious being, spiritual being. Now, This, you see, is not taking thought for our life, what we shall eat or what we shall drink or wherewithal we shall be clothed. This is making a conscious transition through accepting the activity of truth in our consciousness. There's nothing of anxiety about this. There's nothing of doubt. There's nothing of concern. There's nothing of fear. There's nothing of worrying of whether we shall ever eat another meal or pay another month's rent. None of that enters into this. This is making a conscious transition from humanhood to Christhood. This is making a conscious transition from being the man of earth to being the man of spirit, the man of God, the man of Christ. Now, it is for this reason that practitioners can be of help to us in overcoming our discords and in harmonies, but they can never be of permanent help. That is, they can never take us into the kingdom of God since that has to be done by an act of truth within our own consciousness. No teacher can die for you. You have to die to material selfhood, to material law, to material government and you have to be reborn through an activity of consciousness within yourself to the realization of spirit as that which governs you, maintains you and sustains you. This work that we do together lifts you in consciousness to where you can apprehend this truth and accept it. But the apprehension and the acceptance must be on your part. In other words, what we know or think with the human mind is not the ultimate spiritual demonstration. But the truth we entertain in consciousness lifts us 
to a place in spirit where the spirit can take over and govern us harmoniously. <laughs> going to be horse whips out there pretty soon. <laughs> That is why you have noticed in the writings that I've said that this is not a lazy man's work. This is no lazy way or easy way of getting into heaven. This is a difficult way for the simple reason that up to the place where the spiritual contact is made and experienced, up to that place where we can say, oh, now I no longer live my own life. I don't even have to think right thoughts. I don't even have to know the truth. It functions up to that moment. It is absolutely necessary that we consciously and specifically know the truth. But now, one of the words that takes up far too much room in our literature is the word supply. And the reason is that we, in turning to spirit, are looking for a physical manifestation. In other words, probably this is why the book Leave Your Nets is so little understood. We go to God, but we think in terms of more money. When the master said, leave your nets, he wasn't expecting them to catch more fish. Certainly not after he had told them to get rid of their nets. But we turn to the spirit and look for it to appear as more dollars. As a matter of fact, it does. But it is the looking in that direction that keeps us in bondage to this, the violation of spiritual law. Now, when we leave our nets, it doesn't mean that we're leaving any of the human forms of good that exist, but it means that we are leaving all thought of them as to how they shall appear, or when, or why, or by what means, or even whether or not they shall. Who says that they must? In the kingdom of God, when we realize it, there are far greater riches than those that we on earth can dream about. So that <clears throat> there must, something must take place in our consciousness that concerns that command, leave your nets. How are we to leave our nets? In what way can we leave our nets? What happens if we do leave our nets? That is something that each one takes up as an activity of truth in their own consciousness until the answer is given to them by God. Not necessarily the answer that God gave me, but the answer that God has for you. Now, 
My peace give I unto thee, not as the world giveth. All right? There comes an activity of truth in our consciousness. What does the Master mean by my peace? Well, you don't know, and I don't know what the answer is for you. I only know what the answer has been in my experience. But I do know this, that someday or other, you must experience my peace, God's peace, the Christ peace. I know that someday you must experience Christ's supply, spiritual supply, as separate and apart or something different than the world's concepts of supply. I know this too, that we cannot go on forever enjoying good health. The world's concept of good health. One day we must make a transition into the Christ idea, the spirit idea of health. What is health spiritually discerned? What is the spiritual realization of health? What happens in our lives and physically healthy but spiritually whole? Do you see that? That has to take place as an activity of transition within your own consciousness. You must day by day grow out of the habit of believing in good health. That was one of the very uh, powerful statements in uh, one of Mrs. Eddy's writings. I'm not surprised if it's science and health. Which she says, we must overcome the insanity of health. The insanity of health. Yes. The insane much of things and the blood system that does this, that that constitutes health. How can it constitute health when we all have it and the next day are dead? Or next month, or next year, or whatever. No, that isn't health. That is a physical sense of health, always subject to change, always subject to destruction. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Changing, always, and if for no other reason than just the move into the calendar. If nothing else will do it to us, that will. Do you see that? Now, if we are to die daily, we must die to the belief of health, just as we must die to the belief of disease. Because in our spiritual demonstration, there is no disease and there is no health. Why is this true? Because we have nothing of our own. We can't have a disease and we can't have a health because if we did, we'd have something of our own since God has neither health nor disease. God is a spirit and all that we can possibly have is the spirit of God. Do you follow that? Don't forget this is, this is just a tiny capsule full of atomic bombs. We can only have health as long as we believe we have something of our own. A life of our own, a body of our own, a selfhood of our own. That we're even under laws of our own. But you see, we will overcome health the minute we realize there is no selfhood apart from God. We will even overcome wealth 
and we will demonstrate an infinity of abundance not ours God's abundance do you see this point the only thing that you can possess is what God possesses because we can possess nothing of ourselves son thou art ever with me and all that I have is thine therefore as long as we insist on having health of our own wealth of our own it will be up and down rich and poor good and bad live and dead it is only when we make that transition to the realization that God's selfhood is the only selfhood and it is neither rich nor poor neither sick nor well neither young nor old and neither live nor dead it's just a state of immortality of eternal being unchanging unchanging and yet infinite in its forms and appearances just as a garden represents nature in expression the one nature and yet it expresses itself as everything from coconut trees to orchids now if we are to accept this truth where do we accept it in consciousness within ourselves could we accept it in any other way no we have rejected it that way all our lives we have kept it out of consciousness not willingly ignorantly but now if it is to appear as an activity within us it must appear as an activity of our consciousness so that it may even be necessary for us sometime to sit down and uh, be quiet and realize right here and now I accept the grace of God I accept the grace of God as uh, the allness and onlyness and perfection of my being of my body of my business I accept God's grace as companionship as home as opportunity as success I accept consciously the grace of God as a law under my being as the only law the only law operating in my mind in my consciousness in my heart in my life in my soul in my being in my body in all that concerns me I consciously accept God as the one influence in my life I accept the activity of the Christ of spirit of soul I accept the love of God as the only love in my experience I consciously reject any love which is not of God I consciously reject every love which is not of God every law which is not of God every belief which is not of God anything and everything of a material and a mental nature which is not of God and in doing this I open myself to receive divine grace in consciousness to accept the government of God in place of the government of matter and material beliefs and mental beliefs 
mortal beliefs and theories and superstitions. Why should I be under the subject of where the stars are in the sky? Why should I be under the superstitions of church? Why should I be under the superstitions of astrology or of theology? Why should I even be under the superstitions of natural law? Why not in my inner consciousness realize God's government is supreme and it operates through grace? And I hear and I now accept the grace of God. Now, having done this once thoroughly and completely, we have at least made room within ourselves to remind ourselves every time that there is the uh, appearance of something contrary to that, we again remind ourselves that it's the grace of God that governs me, not material law, not mental law. And uh, we remind ourselves that spiritual power emanates from within my own being and flows out from me to my affairs and therefore nothing in the outer realm can act upon me whether it's the stars in the sky or the bombs in the sky nothing from without can enter that defileth or maketh a lie but all good flows out from me through me to me and to all who are within range of my consciousness that is an activity of truth in consciousness that we must practice and we must practice it continuously until one beautiful day comes along when all of a sudden something happens within and then when it does you say oh just think that was all true heretofore I've declared it but now I know it there's a difference between declaring it and knowing it once it's known you no more have to declare it than you would walk around declaring your name or declaring the two times two or four or declaring that your money's in your right hand pocket you don't have to declare anything once you know it and I mean by that know it with this inner conviction that is called spiritual discernment and that comes in that second of transition uh, when the Christ takes over announces itself reveals itself as being on the field and uh, in possession of all your being and body and business. And so you see, it is not a contradiction to say that all truth must be consciously entertained in thought and on the other hand to say, take no thought what you shall eat or what you shall drink or wherewithal you shall be clothed. You yourselves must watch that and must come to the right conclusion on it because sooner or later you will have to take hold of that statement of the masters just as we do not live by bread alone so you will have to take thought of uh, leave your nets. Leave your dependence on everything which heretofore has been your mainstay. You see, here were 12 fishermen. And uh, they only lived by one thing. They didn't care so much about bread. Fish, that was the thing. Fish. Without fish, we don't live. 
Our families are not supported. Even the taxes are not paid. Fish, fish, everything depends on fish. But, the master says, leave your nets. Or it would have been so much easier if he had just said, leave bread or butter. If he just said, leave bank accounts or something like that, that's easy. But fish, that's really putting them up against a brick wall. So it is with us. The day does come when you realize no dependency on those things that have been mainstays. Those things that have been as important to us as fish were to the fishermen. And then we began to say, what, Lord, do you mean? Leave your nets. What do you mean by leave your nets? How are we to leave those things on which we have depended? In what way the answer will come to you, I don't know. But one thing is certain that included in the answer will be that there is an infinite invisible. That everything in the visible realm comes forth from the invisible. Things that are made are made from things which do not appear. Everything that is seen is an emanation of something which is uh, in and of the invisible. Nothing exists here in the visible realm except the first came forth from nothing. The invisible. And so the answer will always include the realization that there is an infinite invisible. While we're doing this, let us consciously, remember this word consciously, let us consciously remove ourselves from physical and mental laws and uh, place ourselves under grace. Thy grace is my sufficiency in all things. Thy grace is the only sufficiency. Thy grace is the only presence and power in my experience. Thy grace governs, maintains, feeds, and sustains. Thy grace is my bread, my wine, my water. Thy grace is my fish. Thy grace is my meat. There comes uh, another subject now. We hear people make the remark that they would like to overcome fear or doubt or hate or envy or jealousy or desire for revenge or other negative characteristics of humanhood and they very often ask how they can do that in what way they can overcome these negative traits and uh, as such there is no way from the spiritual standpoint it just can't be done You cannot meet a problem on the level of the problem. So as long as you're dealing with person, you're going to be dealing 
with hating a person or loving them, fearing them, doubting them, or envying them. What we have to do, first of all, is come to the realization that we are never dealing with person. And once you have freed yourself of the belief that you are dealing with person, you are freed from all of these qualities, hate, animosity, fear, doubt, jealousy, and so forth. You see, Christ is individual identity. Christ, the Son of God, is individual identity, and you cannot hate Christ, or envy Christ, or fear Christ, or love Christ in a human way. There's just no way for these things. You can receive Christ, you can accept Christ, you can joy in Christ, you can tabernacle with Christ, you can companion with Christ, the Son of God but you see the relationship is so spiritual that you can't think of it in terms of human relationships when uh, that comes into our consciousness we are no longer bearing false witness against our neighbor therefore we are loving our neighbor as ourselves and all of these so called human traits of themselves are extinguished. Now, if I am a human being, I must love and hate, fear and doubt, trust and uh, not trust. <coughs> but if I recognize Christ as my true identity, I no longer have these mixed human emotions, opposites. See, the whole purpose of our work is rising above the pairs of opposites. That's the whole part of our work. It is called in this work the middle path. It is where you have neither good nor bad, young nor old, rich nor poor. You have only spiritual Christhood. Then you have nothing to patch up, nothing to heal, nothing to reform. Now, Love is the only way. Love is the only relationship. But love has no relationship to the human emotion called love. It has no relationship even to that which is called brotherly love. It has relationship only to our relationship with God which is love. You see, there is no love but God. If God is love and God is infinite, love is infinite, and there is no love beside God. Therefore, the love of God is the only relationship there is. When we then are experiencing the love of God, we are beholding the Son of God as individual identity. 
Now, there's no other way. You can try to get rid of hate if you like. You can try to get rid of fear, but you won't succeed. You may for a while repress it. You may even get a religious emotional experience that will make you think you're above it, but next year it'll be back. You cannot overcome these human uh, uh, concerns while we are operating from a human level. We can only overcome them by rising above humanhood, either as a conscious realization of Christ as our identity or a realization of Christ as the identity of those whom we meet on this path. Many people have tried to solve their problem by exchanging giving up hate for love and doubt for confidence. It won't work. It won't work. They have been trying that for too many generations. It won't work. As long as there is a somebody or a something out here to be feared or hated, fear and hate will continue. It is only by removing the object of fear and hate that there is no fear or hate left. It is just exactly like finding a ghost in the house. If we are to fear ghosts, be assured of this, you will not overcome your fear of ghosts while you have a ghost. It will only be in the removal of the ghost that you will lose your fear. Because in uh, the common thought, ghosts are to be feared. In the same way, as long as there is an atomic bomb, there must be a fear of it. On the other hand, as long as you have a human life, there must be a fear of an atomic bomb too. Do you see that? You must remove the object of the fear before the fear can go. Now the object of the fear is our personal sense of life. The object of our fear is a destructive power outside of our own being. Until we remove that, we will have the hate, the fear, the envy, the jealousy, and all other negative qualities. Once, however, we achieve the realization of God as individual life, in that moment we then say, hmm, I can lay down my life or pick it up. If I live by the sword, certainly I'm going to lay it down. If I live by the sword, I will die by the sword. And so in that way we come into the realization, that, first of all, that there's no life to be destroyed, and probably in addition to that we come to the realization that since there is but one power, God must be that power, not bombs. If we're to have one power, I'm sure we won't have bombs as that one. All right, let us meditate a few minutes. Now, with what we have gone through this morning, our thought is cleared. In other words, let us say that we have uh, had a treatment because you not only heard it from me, but while you were hearing it, it was going on as an activity of your own consciousness. If you were merely listening to it, then it wasn't even a good treatment. 
It was only a treatment if you could live it while it was being honored, if you could actually feel it and uh, go through the process of consciousness within yourself. Then it was a good treatment and uh, thought now is cleared of all these extraneous things. Now is when uh, the real function of living the spiritual life commences. Now that we're through with all of that, now we can turn within to the center. Do it. Turn within quietly now. The kingdom of God, and you follow this as an activity, the kingdom of God is within me. And I'm now turned within so that I can hear the still small voice or become aware of a divine presence. Thy grace is my sufficiency and so now speak Lord thy servant heareth. I will listen for thy voice. If it is necessary for you to think any thoughts at all, just let it be thy grace is my sufficiency. Or, we do not live by bread alone. If any thoughts are trying to intrude, you can just say, what is that to me? Follow thou me. this spiritual activity which is truth in my consciousness oh yes let me bring this out to you 
that what we went through here for 45 minutes this morning was the activity of truth in my consciousness as we were voicing it and thinking it but from now on we have another activity of truth in my consciousness which is the activity of God revealing itself within me to me and that is the activity of truth and consciousness that ultimately lifts you up into divine consciousness it is the activity of truth in my consciousness but not the activity of truth that I am consciously knowing it is an activity of truth that I am consciously hearing or receiving you see there are two parts to an activity of truth and consciousness the one is the activity of truth as we have been knowing it for 45 minutes here rehearsing it declaring it stating it but the important activity of truth is the import is the activity of truth that's imparted to me from the father within and it's that activity of truth that is operating in this room and operating in my practice operating in my student body as the law of grace under your consciousness it is that activity of truth not the one I declare the one that's declared in me imparted through me that activity of truth in my consciousness becomes a law unto you so that it's a law of God unto your experience now everyone who is within range of my consciousness as patient or student is the beneficiary of every word of truth that utters itself within my consciousness and it is for that reason that we are having experiencing healings during these meetings and other experiences during these meetings and during the days or nights that follow these meetings it is because we are all here embodied in this call it if you like teacher consciousness which is a receptive and responsive consciousness to truth then every bit of truth that reveals itself to me imparts itself to me utters or declares itself every bit of that truth becomes a, the divine grace in your experience freeing you from uh, the laws of matter or the laws of mind or the laws of theology or material medical or whatever the discords and inharmonies of life may be it is also the same spiritual impartation which is the law of forgiveness to our sins whether they're your sins or mine whether our past or present sins whether they are sins of omission or commission whether they are the sins of conscious knowledge of wrongdoing or the sins of ignorance they are forgiven when an impartation of truth comes to consciousness that is the same whether it says uh, thy sins be forgiven thee or whether it says pick up thy bed and walk makes no difference the same effect is achieved your freedom in Christ and so it is remember that in every one of these meditations or every one of these periods there is an activity of truth taking place within me that's what results in these occasional notes or it results in the words that come out the particular message of the day that is not something I think up that is an activity of truth taking place imparting itself within my consciousness and that becomes the law of healing 
and of harmony unto you unto all who touch this consciousness but that same thing is true of you when you are in your own meditation and you permit the activity of truth to take place as we had the first 45 minutes this morning you are then preparing yourself for the receptivity of truth in your consciousness or rather the activity of truth as impartation as reception rather than thinking up then uh, when that takes place that becomes grace under your experience